I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Maybe let me go away and come again another day. I'm sick and tired of Tuesdays. Wednesdays could be better. Sitting in the office, I'm aware when it's Thursday. One day to Friday. That's one of the greatest songs ever recorded. That is the music of Star Club, featuring my guest today on the program, Owen Weiss. Now, I've brought Owen on the show today to explain Brexit to, uh, well, to everybody. Because let's face it, you don't really know what it is, do you? (laughs) Right? He's going to clarify everything. So, let me tell you a little bit about Owen Weiss and Brexit. All right, well, let's just start with Brexit. I can't tell you anything about Brexit, because I don't know what it is. It sounds to me like an allergy medication. Boy, uh, my eyes are watering so much this week, and I'm, I'm coughing. Uh, something's blooming. Oh, uh, did you take your Brexit? No, I didn't. I forgot to take my Brexit. Let me, uh, let me pop two of those, and we can go hiking. That's what Brexit sounds like to me, to uh, my American ears. Brexit sounds like that. I don't know what it is. I mean, I have a loose idea. I can hold my own in a conversation that lasts, you know, five or six seconds, but anything past that, and anyone would realize I'm an idiot. So the smart thing to do here is to put Brexit in the hands of someone who actually understands it and can explain it with clarity and understanding. And that's where Owen Weiss comes in. (laughs) Owen is a friend of mine, and I'll tell you about him in a second. Um, He's going to get his own episode where he talks about his music career, but for today's show, we're not talking about music, we're talking about politics. Politics explained to you by a musician. And in true uh, musician form, if you listen closely, you can hear Owen drinking a lot of red wine while he uh, offers us this explanation. But he does hold it together very, very well. So, let me tell you a little bit about Owen, then we'll get to the show. I do want to add, though, uh, before I tell you about Owen, that If I drank as much wine uh, as he does during this episode, I wouldn't be talking about Brexit. I wouldn't. I'd be like, uh, I'd be crying a little bit. I'd be talking about how much I miss my old girlfriend from high school. Uh, I'd be talking about my failed dreams, uh, how I'm a shell of the person I thought I'd be. (laughs) I'd I'd express frustration that I was never America's favorite teen. Uh, I would... uh, I would just start sobbing about the fact that I've never found true love. Uh, Oh, I'd turn it into a Nick Drake thing. 
it'd be a Nick Drake situation over here. Uh, but Owen, Owen doesn't do that. Owen sticks to Brexit. And me, well, I think I'm going to stick to not drinking red wine. Nobody wants to hear that. Uh, all right, Owen Vice, who is this guy? Well, as I said, Owen will have his own episode, uh, wherein I'll give you a much longer and more comprehensive biography. But for now, here's what you need to know. Owen was the singer of Star Club, a band he formed with his childhood friends when they were around 11. In the early 90s, they signed what at the time was the biggest deal for a new band with Island Records. What happened after that is kind of a long story. You know, the kind that's perfect for a future podcast. So let's go with this. Things went awry and the band broke up. The members of Star Club scattered. Drummer Alan White went to Oasis. Owen went to Echo and the Bunnymen. And that was that. After years touring with the Bunnymen and appearing on Letterman and traveling all over the world, Owen went solo. He settled in France for a bit. He became a music lecturer in the UK for a spell. And now he's in Thailand working on new music and, well, just relaxing. Why not? But when it comes to explaining things like Brexit, not only is Owen the right guy for the job, he's the only guy I could think of who would tell it like it is. And there's a lot of is to be told. So yes, I did interrupt his relaxing life in Thailand for this, but we both agreed you need to know all he's about to tell you. So sit back, relax, and learn. It's an entertaining ride, I promise, and you'll be better for it. And just think about how much ass you'll be kicking if Brexit comes up at a party. All right, so here's Owen Weiss explaining Brexit to me and to you, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. first point is what does brexit mean brexit means britain that's what the brr stands for ladies and gentlemen the exiting the european union of which it is a member there's 28 member states and we were one of them and uh we are still one of them because we haven't left yet but we voted to leave uh on june 2016 to no longer be a member of the eu uh, we'll talk about the, the votes and how close it was and all the other stuff there. But first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to divide it up into two things here. Um, first one is why people voted to leave. Okay. And why, secondly, why people wanted them to vote to leave. Okay. It's a slightly different thing. So first of all, is why did, why did people vote that way? And secondly, who wanted them to vote that way? All right, that's a that's a logical place to start, Owen. Um, let's do it. First reason. Okay, so the first first reason is uh, I've got a list of bits and pieces here, and your listeners can look up all the facts and figures because I haven't bothered to fill any in. But uh, th this is the basic checklist of why uh, people wanted to leave. Those who did. And before we go any further, by the way, I need to point out that the the vote to leave was 51.9 in favour and 48.1 against. So statistically, it was 50-50. And when, I have to say one of the things that pissed me off most about this entire clusterfuck, and there are many, many things that pissed me off to my fucking core about it, 
the one of the ones that really really grinds my balls is every politician up until very 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 recently has been using the phrase the British people have given a clear message. Now you ask any fucking statistician, is 51.9 a clear indication of anything? And I'll I'll give you 100% fucking odds that that statistician is not going to get a job working in statistics if he says it is, right? It's clearly not. It's statistically 50-50, about, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest, it's about 50-50. So I just want to say that first of all. So whenever people talk about Brexit, they need to know that the vote itself was statistically 50-50 anyway. There wasn't a huge majority either way. Okay. So, firstly, ladies and gentlemen, reasons why people voted to leave. First one I've got on my list. Uh, these are not necessarily in order of importance. They're just what came to my mind out of mind because I told Alex that I would make wine this week and, and I'm now halfway through some. Um, firstly, austerity. Now, austerity is something that the Conservative government came up with. Conservatives are like our version of your Republicans, except less Christian. Um, I use the word Christian in its loosest possible sense. Um, but and, and just less mad, less fucking Nazi, less awful. Or so we thought. We'll answer that more later on. But essentially, yeah, our Conservatives are your Republicans, right? Right-wingers. So the Conservative Party came in after a long time of, of our left, our country being run by a sort of centre-left party, and they uh, introduced a policy called austerity. And what austerity meant, in fact, was reducing uh, money going to public services, um, reducing the amount of police on the streets, taking money out of schools, taking money out of hospitals, taking money out of public transport, infrastructure, all the things that the state spends money on. The government said, we don't have the money for this anymore, we're in a huge amount of debt and we can't spend it. And the reason for that, of course, was you motherfuckers with your, uh, was it the, um, what's that when you missold all those fucking loans to people to buy houses? Oh, you mean the uh, the mortgage crisis? Yeah, yeah, the mortgage crisis thing, which then spread out and just fucked everybody in the world. Uh, yeah, that was us. So, so that was you. <laughs> in fact, it's all of this is your fault. You, you personally. <laughs> it's not my fault. I've never had a mortgage. I don't even have a four hundred one k or a or a comfortable pair of pants. Um, all right. So the mortgage crisis happened. Uh, so what happened over there? So what happened was we had the financial crisis, right, which fucked everybody up across the whole world, started in America, spread across to everywhere else because we're all interconnected, and we ended up with no fucking money. Now, same as you guys, rather than actually sending any cunts to prison, we decided to bail them all out with our public money, our taxes, right? So we decided that we were going to not let the banks fail, not let the insurance companies fail, and not let the mortgage companies fail. We're going to give them all of our tax dollars, to keep them afloat for whatever fucking reason. Um, and we did the same thing in England with the result that we didn't have any fucking money left. And so the, the Tories came in, the Conservatives, uh, Conservative Tory, same thing. Uh, they came in and they introduced austerity, which was, like I said, a rollback of all of the money that, that the state puts into uh, the country. You know, I went through education and... and uh, infrastructure, transport, all that kind of stuff. 
right? Um, so what that led to, of course, was a huge drop in living standards for people, especially very poor people, uh, and pretty much for most people who weren't already immensely rich. There's been a massive rise in food banks. Now, at the time, before we had the, before we had the Brexit vote, we were the fifth largest economy in the world, which is not bad for a, a nation of our size. It's about fucking make anything. Do you know what I mean? You've got America, the world's superpower, is number one. Uh, and then I think you've got uh, Germany, uh, Japan, right? Um, and then the UK, and it's weird because the UK is the only one who doesn't fucking make anything out of that. Our listeners can't see, but I'm using my fingers to demonstrate the point here. Uh, and I'm down to the thumb, and the thumb is indicating that we make nothing in the UK anymore at all. All we do is like financial services and bullshit stuff. I don't know what the fuck it is that we do. We don't really do anything. Japanese make fucking cool electronic stuff. Germans make amazing cars and all the best appliances. Uh, China makes well, China makes everything, obviously, and then you guys still make a whole bunch of stuff, and then also attack people who you <laughs> want to own their stuff, right? So that's your deal. Uh, um, I don't know how we managed to stay in the top five, but we did. But anyway, all that money was gone, and then we had austerity, which took it away from poor people. So what, of course, that did. It made people feel very unhappy and very disconnected from the state and disconnected from each other, and led to this kind of uh, how can I put it? Um, it led to uh, a lack of trust in the government and a lack of belief in the social contract. Wow, so that's the first thing austerity. So that's the first thing austerity it was a really big driver in this because people found out that despite working hard, suddenly they were poor. Despite uh, not having a job and trying to sign on, they couldn't sign on anymore. They couldn't get their, their benefits. They couldn't get their fucking national health service. They couldn't get all the shit that they, not only they were used to, but their parents were used to, and we just assumed it was our birthright. Suddenly, all that shit was gone, and a lot of people were very angry, right? Right. Okay, one. Two, second thing was there's been decades and decades of anti-European uh, dogma and propaganda in the British press. It's the most right-wing press in Europe, and it's the most um, jingoistic press in Europe. And we've had years and years and years of lies, outright lies told to the British population in the tabloids, in the daily newspapers that so many people read. Um, I'm going to give you a very, very, very quick list of these. These are all lies. Um, one, we send £350 million a week to Brussels. Lie. Uh, Turkey was going to join the EU and we can't stop it. Lie. Uh, they're going to make a European army and we can't stop it. Lie. Uh, we are still able, liable to pay Eurozone bailouts. Lie. Uh, we get a rebate because um, we got our excellent deal within the, within the EU. Um, that can be changed against our will. Lie. Our VAT exemptions will be ended. Lie. Uh, EU law is adopted by unelected bureaucrats. Lie. We can't control our borders in the EU. Lie. Criminals arriving in Germany can get EU passports and come here. Lie. Health tourism costs us billions. Lie. The EU needs the UK trade more than vice versa. Clearly a fucking lie. There's 21 countries and there's us, so who needs the other more? 
Um, auditors still refuse to sign off on the accounts, lie. Um, the Common Agricultural uh, Policy adds £400 to every British food bill in the country, lie. Uh, British suffers because of the EU, lie. The Irish board will be unaffected by Brexit, massive lie. The EU can't deport, the UK can't deport EU criminals, lie. Huge, obvious, clear lie that you can find out in five minutes. Um, the EU, this is a really weird paranoid one. The UK is always outvoted by the other countries. No, massive lie. Um, 67% of all of our laws in the UK come from the EU. No, they don't. Massive lie. Uh, Renationalisation of our industries in the UK is impossible under EU law. Lie. Uh, we get no veto on any future treaties or any other countries joining. Massive lie. We're one of the countries that does have a fucking veto. In fact, we were the one of the foremost powerful countries in the EU. Um, the budget ceiling can increase without our consent. Massive lie. Uh, and we, when we joined the EU, we thought we are only joining a free trade zone and not a union. Another lie. That's just some of the biggies, right? Um, but every fucking week for the last 30 years in the newspapers, there's been stories about uh, you can't, <laughs> just, just preposterous stuff, you can't have, uh, bananas have to be a certain shape, otherwise the heat will come and take them away from you. And it's, it's this fucking nuts. And all these people are reading the newspaper, oh, I can't believe that we have to have special shaped bananas because the EU unelected bureaucrats are, you know, blah. So. That's the other reason. Years and years and years and years of misinformation about what the EU is, what it does, how it is controlling us in our country, when it's clearly not, and it's all bullshit, and it's all made up. Weirdly enough, one of the first people to come up with this line of making up uh, tall stories about what the EU did in Brussels was a guy called, um, who calls himself, it's not his actual, his real name, uh, Boris Johnson, who's now Prime Minister, so we'll get to that later as well. Anyway, so we've, uh, we've done austerity, we've done the decades of lies in the UK press about the EU. The next thing I want to get on to is Little Englander Syndrome, okay? Little Englander Syndrome is similar to the next two things I want to talk about, but it's slightly different. Little Englander is when you uh, have a rose-coloured, rose, -colored, rose yeah, rose-coloured tinted vision of the past. You know, like in America, your your version of that would be white picket fences. When someone says white picket fences, everyone thinks of the same thing. Fifties, there's like the car and the mum and the dad, and there's a brilliant and you know, leave it to Beaver and all that kind of shit, right? Okay. Um, so this is our version of that, except it's much more backward-looking. It, it's back to empire. It's back to British exceptionalism. It's back to you know uh, the the green and pleasant land of ye olde England and all that kind of stuff, right? So it's it's slightly different from racism, although it does include racism. So you can be a racist without believing in this, okay? But it does contain elements of racism because the other part, of course, is in the goody oldie days there weren't any brown faces, there weren't any Muslims. And there weren't any Asians, and you know, you know, you see where I'm going with this. Okay, and it's very, very similar to the nativist shit that's happening in your part of the world right now. 
Um, R1 is, like I said, much more focused towards uh, our empire. And weirdly, we still in this country haven't gotten over uh, World War II. It, it, it still features massively in, in every time we talk about foreign countries, especially Europe. You know, you get the average fucking Englishman drunk enough. Actually, maybe not the average, but enough, you know, a small, a, a sizable minority of Englishmen drunk enough, and they'll start going on about fucking Germans and World War Two and Spitfires and how we won the war and Churchill and all that shit that is 70 fucking years gone, and it was our finest hour. And, and yet what you have to remember, American people, listening to me talking about my country now, is that before the Second World War, England, Britain was actually really a major power. It was only after the Second World War that we ceded that to America. America and Russia were in reality the only superpowers in the world, but we were kind of a quasi-superpower still. Uh, we had, in a lot of people's minds, the same, almost the same way as the US did at that time. And it's only after the war that reality set in, and and the empire was kind of really broken by the Second World War, in a lot of ways that we can't get into now, as it's far too complex. But it's it's all tied in together with this, you know, the feeling of loss of empire, loss of status in the world, World War Two. And we call that the Little Englander syndrome. Okay, want everything to go back to how it was when it was all, you know, before the Second World. Well, around the Second World War, we were still uh, striding on the on the world stage. Okay. Next one, very very simple. I know that you're a big fan of this in your own country. Racism. A lot of of the more stupid Leave voters. Um, thought that it was a proxy vote on getting rid of Muslims, right? We're going to get rid of all the, all the, you know, all the Muslims, all the dark people, um, forgetting, of course, that most of the people who are Muslim who come to the UK don't come from the EU at all. They come from you know, Pakistan or, or well, Muslim countries, of which the EU, none of which are majority Muslim countries. So there's that for a start. So it was a lot of people, a lot of racists thought, oh, fucking fantastic, we get to vote to kick people out and go back to our own insular little white country. Fantastic, right? Um, then you move on to another one, which again is linked to the first two, but slightly different, which is immigration. Now, you can be against immigration without being a racist. You can have, and I think you can actually have, make a reasonable argument, um, that being worried about immigration is a... A reasonable thing to be worried about because you do have a finite amount of land and a finite amount of resources and a finite amount of stuff. So how many people are you going to let in? What does that do to public services? Does that put an extra strain on health, education, blah, 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 blah. That's the same in every country. And I think it doesn't make you a racist to at least discuss that or acknowledge that that's a problem. In fact, you have to be a fucking idiot to not acknowledge that that is an issue. Of course, it's actually happy to not be an issue, right? Right. But it's how that's how that message is targeted is, I think, what makes it racist or not. If it's look, we simply don't have the resources to take in any more people right now. That to me is not racist. If it's yeah, we kind of don't want people like you coming. That's racist. Um, and the last one is um, the the lies from the 
campaign to leave. They, they, there was a lot of, of egregious lies, which, which you touched on right at the beginning, um, the most famous of which is we give £350 million a week to the EU. Let's take that money back and spend it on our NHS. And it's written on the side of a big bus and it's become a, a, a meme or a, I don't know what the fuck the word is, but um, the, the Leave campaign told lie after lie after lie after lie. And in fact, were uh, broke the law and were had to pay a fine to the Electoral Commission, which is the, the body in our country which overlooks elections and makes sure that they're legal. Now, it's, again, this is something that should resonate with any of your listeners managed to stay awake for this fucking boring shit so far, because you had a similar thing with your country, of course, um, where people have got very good reason to believe that your elections were tampered with, by, by Putin and dark money and uh, the same nefarious uh, stuff that's gone on with our election. Okay, uh, I personally happen to think that it's the same kind of people who did both. I think Vladimir Putin is very, very, very happy the way things are going in both the UK and the US right now. Um, and I don't think that's coincidence. Um, so yeah, so those are the reasons, just, just to recap, that's the reasons people voted leave. One, austerity. Two, lies, years and years and years of lies told about the EU in the press. Three, little in Englander syndrome, wanted to go back to the days of empire and greatness. Four, simple racism. Five, concerns about immigration, which isn't necessarily racist. Um, and six, the leave campaign was fraudulent itself. Okay? Okay. Uh, I'm with you so far. So that is that's, that's our first thing there. Why people voted to leave? Any questions? <laughs> uh, no, uh, no questions yet. Uh, but I do think you've just explained perfectly. Uh, you know the reasoning behind English reticence. You know the the uh, the the dodging of any kind of vulnerability, or you know the acknowledgement of of uh, feelings of worry uh, or concern. Have you ever seen, um, it's something that got very, very popular uh, around the time of the referendum, maybe a little bit before. Have you ever seen the, the keep calm and carry on phrase? Absolutely. Right. It's, it's, that's a whole kind of wartime stiff upper lip. You know, we survived the Blitz and all this, you know, Britain shall never be slaves, that kind of shit. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a huge... Uh, still a huge underbelly of, of World War Two cheer fanboyism, if you will, because that was really our last kind of great moment. Um, you know, we weren't a superpower like the, the US. We didn't have the manpower of the Soviets, but we were the only country to stand up to Hitler at the time and say, no, this is not okay, actually. And, and you can make the, the argument that it was geopolitical, but I which of course it always is, but I, I actually do believe that there was a moral component to that, and I do believe that um, the, Brit the British under Churchill um, thought that what Hitler was doing was just was not okay, not acceptable, and we were not going to stand by and let that happen. And I think a lot of British people are proud of that. I'm actually quite proud of it. I had nothing to do with it, of course, as did almost nobody's alive today, but I think it was, you know, one of the last times that Great Britain did something great, which was to say to Hitler, "No, fuck you. That's not. This is not okay. Killing Jewish people and Romanis and gays is not cool." 
So, um, yeah, anyway, so that's that's uh, the first part. The second part is, this is the interesting one, because you probably could have guessed most of that stuff, because it's not dissimilar from things that, that happen uh, all around the world and also happen in America. One that I, I want to talk a little bit more about is why people wanted them to vote leave, right? It's very clear, um, and you know this yourself, because you mentioned it at the beginning, that leaving the most successful and most liberal trade bloc in the world is economically a fucking crazy idea. It's, it doesn't make any sense, right? How could it make sense? How could it make sense to be a powerful, foundational member of the biggest trade bloc in the world with the best workers' protection rights, the best health and safety rights, the best tariffs, I'm saying like Trump now, we have the best this, we have the best that, but it is. In this particular case, it is, right? Um, also, yeah, so I mean, we had a, I had a big rebate as well, so we actually had the best deal of all of the 28 nations in the EU. Um, so why would you want to leave that? Um, aside from, all, from the obvious stuff, there's things like, uh, I said before that we don't really make anything in England, but I'm being slightly facetious. Of course we have companies here, and they work like companies in most places on a just-in-time basis, i.e. you don't make all of the components in your widgets, right? You import a bunch of stuff from China or Japan or Holland or whatever, and that comes in, fits into your automobile that you're making, and then you put it in line and fuck it off again, right? Um, that's how modern economies work. By leaving the EU, that's 40 years of painstaking trade negotiations which have meshed efficiently enough so that all our economies can run on a just-in-time basis. You know, you need a part, it's coming from Zagreb, it needs to cross here, it goes across, you've got it there, 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, there's no bullshit, everyone's got it, it's all sorted out. Um, doing that without having a European Union would be impossible because everything would have to go through customs and be checked just like it was years and years ago before we had this union. And you imagine in the States, you have your own laws in each state, but imagine if every time you went across into a different state, you had to cross a border like you do between the US and Canada. Everyone has to get out of the bus, everyone has to get out of the car, you have to have a car, you put your shit on. Every time you cross a state line, this happens, right? Uh, and imagine if all the states in America were the size of New York. Uh, so every time you went across from from these, you know, from one small state to another, you had to do the whole international carne shit and get your passport out, all this stuff, right? It, it couldn't work, which is why you don't have it in your country because it, it's madness, right? Okay, which is why that one of the reasons why the EU was formed to stop that happening for us. I'm digress a little bit now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and just talk because uh, it is nominally. A music podcast, and I remember being in bands. One of the things I fucking hated um, was going was touring Europe and having to have you change currency fucking two times a day, like you do in Germany, and then go to Holland and then go to France, all in the space of two days. That's three currencies, and of course you lose money in each one. You got fucking pockets full of change and francs and fucking. You know, marks, and I don't know, no one knows what the fucking currencies are. Is this a thing? You walk into a shop and hold up, in you know, a, a piece of some copper shape. Is this tender in this fucking country? I don't know what it is. What is this? 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I see the problem with that. Uh, so what about when the Euro came in? So when the Euro came in, it was fucking awesome. It was awesome because just wherever you went, it's the same money. You didn't have to have carry having fucking pockets full of change and bullshit everywhere, right? So it was great. Yeah, it was great. Everything, everything was great because you didn't have to stop borders. You didn't have to get out and take all of your fucking... Like, I remember going from the US into Canada and Canada into the US many times, and it's a fucking nightmare, and every musician who does it fucking hates it, right? Um, and it used to be a bit like that in Europe. Um, and then it wasn't at all. At all. It was all gone, and it was fucking glorious. Anyway, where was I? Where was I? Seriously, where was I? Because I've drunk quite a lot of wine. I've no idea what the fuck I'm on now. <laughs> well, uh, the listeners can't see this, Owen. I mean, because I'm looking at you. And uh, I'll just tell them, he's drinking a lot of wine right now. He's putting it away. Um, but, uh, okay, where were you? You were talking about why, why would anyone want to leave an economic union that had, you know, or that has, I should say, so much movement. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm, 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 I was talking about why would someone want to leave a union, an economic union that enables this freedom of movement, freedom of good, uh, travel of goods without tariffs, not having to use a passport, all that kind of stuff. I was, I was positing the question, why would you want to do that? Right. And by the way, I, I should say my answer to that question is uh, they shouldn't want to leave it. It makes no sense at all. Makes no sense at all. Of course it doesn't. And 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 the stupid people, the stupid motherfuckers who voted for it, we've covered that before. We know why they voted for it, right? We we have that list. Um, now the people in charge are not stupid. They're evil, but they're not stupid. Um, so there are three main reasons why Brexit actually happened. The first one, the thing that that was the catalyst for this was in 2016 there was something called ATAD, A-T-A-T, which is the anti-tax avoidance scheme, right? Obviously uh, it didn't finish with scheme, it finished with something beginning with D, but I don't have to written down. Um, but what it was was the EU realized that huge corporations, Google for instance, Microsoft, Apple, Nike, whatever, um, Amazon would offshore all of their uh, profits and not pay the proper taxes in the countries in which they're based. So, for instance, you could have uh, Amazon in England selling $10 billion worth of uh, goods each year and paying no tax at all, nothing, because they're tax registered in the Republic of Ireland or they're tax registered in the Cayman Islands or they're tax registered at work, right? And the European Union thought, well, 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 hang on, what? No, no. If you want to fucking operate in our country, then you need to pay the taxes of the countries, which is sounds fair, right? I mean, so in order to stop this tax avoidance, they came up with, with something called ATAD, which all the countries in the EU had to sign up to. And it would mean that tax avoidance and offshoring and schemes, the schemes that have kept very rich people very rich would be stymied. This was conceived in 2016, which just happened to be the year that they decided to have a referendum whether we should leave or not, right? So 
let me ask you this. If there is a Europe-wide directive stopping tax avoidance, who loses out on that? Is it rich people or poor people? Well, that would be rich people. It's rich people. Okay. So that's the first thing, is that, in, especially in, in our country, which is, or at least was, I don't know how it's going to work in the future, but, but it has been for the last few years, it's, it's very much based on financial services. You know, we have, uh, you have Wall Street, which is the most powerful financial centre in the world. The second one, of course, is the City of London. It's the second most powerful financial centre in the world. And that's because we are a bridge between America and Europe. And we're also the tax avoidance and tax scam centre of the world, outside of, you know, little banana places like Cayman Islands and stuff. Right? So any scheme that was going to interfere with that was a big no-no for people who make huge amounts of money on tax avoidance and, of course, all the corporations. Right, so that's number one. Number two is you've heard of Naomi Klein, I'm sure, uh, and her famous book, uh, Shock Doctrine. Yeah, of course. I mean, a truly essential and amazing book. Absolutely amazing book. And so, you, well, I'll, I'll, I've spoken a lot. Let's let the listeners, can, you can explain to them what disaster capitalism is in that case. Well, this is going to be a, a crude rendering of it, so you're going to have to improve on it. But um, to my understanding, disaster capitalism is basically... When a government, um, you know, after there's some kind of disaster of some kind or an event of some kind that terrifies people, they can push through economic legislation and policies that would normally, uh, under normal circumstances, not have been accepted. It's a shock therapy. And what it does is it exploits or invents national crises to push through controversial policies where the people who actually live in the country are too emotionally, physically distracted by all the shit that they think is going on to resist it properly. Okay? And again, this is you see exactly the same shit with Trump and all his bullshit. Um, constantly manufacturing. Uh, you can see, in fact, even before Trump, this is this is the whole thing with Fox News. Constantly making Americans live in fear of everybody. You need to have a gun. Now you need a bigger gun. Why? Because there's crime everywhere. And people are fucking after you. And the Mexicans are coming for you. And the Chinese are going to do this. And the communists are going to do that. Everyone in America is fucking terrified all the time of all this shit that's going to happen to them because it's made up by these motherfuckers who want to make you so scared that while you're not looking, they can start pushing through things like, remember, what's that famous bit of liberal uh, legislature that you had? The after 9-11. The Patriot Act. Patriot Act. Remember how fucking weird that was when that came out? And a lot of people were like, whoa, 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 what? Hang on a second. We don't, this is not cool. It's just not what America's about. But because everyone was so fucking scared, they pushed it through. Because they thought, well, we don't want another 9-11. So suddenly it was okay that people could be stopped and, and questioned and searched and every time you went through an airport you had to fucking give over your phone and your fucking books and to some fucking dude in a uniform so they can look through all your private shit and and this this would have been unheard of in America before that but before we know it there it is and there'll be people listening to this probably 
who don't remember what it was like before the Patriot Act, but we remember, right? Absolutely. Okay, so shock doctrine, rise of disaster capitalism. Um, what they thought, one of the things, one of the reasons why they wanted Brexit, it was because they thought we can do the same thing here. We can take advantage of uh, the disruption of leaving the EU, right, in order to then change the country to the way that will benefit us, i.e. the ruling class. Okay? Now, I'm going to do kind of tie this up at the end because I've gone through lots of detail and I'm drunk and it's sort of watching up there. Um, but so yeah, the second one is the shock doctrine, and the third one I want to talk to you about is a little-known book uh, called or or tract called Britannia Unchained. Now, Britannia Unchained is it was only like 150 pages long, and it was the work of a guy called Quasi Quateng, a lady called Pretty Patel. A guy called Dominic Raab, a guy called Chris Skidmore, and a lady called Liz Truss. Very, very right-wing, very, very uh, disaster capitalist um, type politicians. Now, coincidentally enough, they all now hold high ministerial positions in the UK government. Right? Since uh, Mr. Johnson was made Prime Minister, the people who wrote this book are now all in the cabinet. Uh, and it says things like uh, British workers are the worst idlers in the world. Um, the UK needs to stop indulging in irre irrelevant debates about sharing the pie between manufacturing and services, north and the south, women and men. Um, it basically said that we could re order our society away from the sort of liberal uh, technocratic democracy that we all live in, right, uh, and move it more towards a kind of uh, no workers protection, no health service, no state intervention, uh, you know, you're kind of, I guess what you call in America libertarians, uh, or their, their wettest of wet dreams, if you can imagine such a ghastly thing, right? Um, so that was the other part of why people wanted them to vote Brexit. Again, just to, re, uh, to reiterate, first of all, it was the anti-tax directive, okay, which was going to affect a lot of very rich people, a lot of very rich corporations. Secondly, disaster capitalism, people knew and know that by making Britain poorer and taking us down economically and ruining the country, they stand to make a lot of money. And not only that, they stand to control and be able to reform uh, our democratic um, institutions so that they can be more in control of them. Okay? So that's, that's the main three reasons. One, tax avoidance. Two, uh, you can make money on short power, for instance. One of the main backers of the Vote Leave campaign um, bet huge amounts of money, billions, on the pound dropping. Now, why would you do that? If he is a patriotic Englishman, right, he would want the pound to do well, he wants the economy to do well, but they don't give a fuck. What they want is they want to make a lot of money. So, and if, if you can ruin your economy, 
you can buy up a whole bunch of and you can sell off your English resources and then buy them back at a much, much lower rate later on. Even though the country's fucked, you personally do very well. And as, as you both know, the sort of people who become very rich and very powerful tend to be slightly sociopathic, to put it mildly, right? So they're not going to be bothered by, by you know, small concerns as, oh, sorry, we ruined your country and everybody died. It's like, oh, I made $25 trillion. How awesome is that, right? Um, so that's it. I know it's a long rambling speech, and I did say I was going to explain it uh, concisely, so I'm going to now attempt to do that after having given you all the information. Okay. First of all, why do people leave Brexit? It's a stupid idea. Of course, obviously, it's mad. But firstly, people were pissed off because of austerity and they had no money. Secondly, people have been told for years and years and years that EUU was fucking them over and controlling the country. Secondly, people were desperate to go back to a time where they were, um, where Britain was important and relevant and in charge. Uh, it gave a voice to racists to kick out all the people that they didn't like. Um, that's the reason why people left. Okay. Uh, the reason they wanted to leave was rich people didn't want the tax avoidance scheme to come in. Uh, disaster capitalists wanted to make a shitload of money on shorting the pound. And the Britannia Unchained guys wanted to reform our society to move it away from the parliamentary democracy and uh, semi-socialist state, like we all are, by the way, into something that was completely different and gave workers no protection, and it was basically a libertarian, a sort of Ayn Rand kind of wet dream version of society could be. So that is my quick Cliff Notes version of why Brexit happened. All right, so at long last, Owen, uh, thanks to that explanation, I understand Brexit. I really do. Um, but then my my next series of questions have to do with what happens next. So number one, is it going to happen? Uh, and number two, uh, what if it does happen? Because it seems to me like a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. It's a really bad idea. And the people who are going to suffer most from it are the people who are at the bottom of the uh, social pyramid. Um, and weirdly enough, they tend to be the people who are most like Trump voters. You know, they're the people who are often the most invested in this happening. Um, so the answer to, well, your question, first of all, was, is it going to happen? I honestly don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I think I haven't given a very good explanation because I'm drunk. Although if, if you can edit this cleverly, it'll probably sound awesome because everything in there is true. It's just... It's just offered in, in the wrong order. Um, but the, there's a very, very, very clear uh, explanation as to why it's happened. But there's no clear path from here. Nobody knows what's going to happen. We're in complete new territory. We are fucking way, way through the looking glass at this point, as you guys are with Trump. There's a whole bunch of shit that's happening in America now that nobody fucking planned for, right? And and people are going. I mean, <laughs> this this is just like the, the, the most harmless thing this fucking idiot has done. But it, it's it, it's one that jumps out at me, and it just shows how fucking crazy it is. You know, you know the the Sharpie Gate thing with the, the it's going to hit Alabama, right? 
every fucking person involved in that, uh, a cabinet and and organisational level, knew what that was about. That was about just sparing the blushes of Kim Jong Il with an orange fucking wig, right? That's what it was, wasn't it? We know that. Yes, we we do know that. So to me, it's that's the parallel that I draw with with Brexit. Is it's so far through the looking glass that if someone said to you, said to anyone in America, you know, five years ago, um, there'll be a reality TV star as president, and he will just make up uh, weather information, which is a felony, as far as I'm aware, actually. Um, and everyone will cover for him because they don't want to embarrass their, their di the dictatorial leader. People go, get the fuck out of here. This is America. That won't fucking happen here, right? We're in the same position here with Brexit. Then we're going, but, but we don't do this. We don't do fascism. We don't do uh, closing down parliament when it doesn't agree with the government. We, that, we, just, we don't do that. That's not the country we are. But suddenly, it is the country we are. And no one knows what to do. Yeah, and also isn't one of the problems that there's nothing constitutionally that the British can look to to, you know, sort of figure this thing out? You guys have uh, had, and still have, one of the greatest documents ever made, which is the American Constitution. It has its faults, but, but looked at, you know, when it was written, and the world in which it was written, it was incredibly progressive and clever and smart and wise. It's amazing. It was amazing. Now, it's not still amazing, by the way, Americans. You need to change a bunch of that shit because it doesn't fucking work anymore. But for the time, it was, it was one of the greatest inventions mankind had come up with. Right? The difference is that you have a codified written com uh, constitution, as does almost every country in the world. But I, I think I, I read the other day, there's three, three countries in the world that don't have a written constitution, and the UK is one of them. Yeah, I don't even know if the other two countries even, you know, have money or food. I don't even fucking know who they are. But, but everybody has a written constitution because American, America invented it, right? And it's, it's a smart idea to have one. We don't have one. And I remember early on uh, when Brexit and Trump, which happened contemporaneously, contempor I've been drinking, you know the word I'm trying to say, contemporaneously, thank you very much. Um, I remember thinking, you know what, the fucking Americans are going to get this guy because they have checks and balances written into their fucking system, and we don't. We have to rely on goodwill. So as soon as that goodwill's gone, we're fucked. Because we, we, don't, we, we have just a bunch of people in wigs, carrying maces that come in and talk about, you know, the grand sausage of Wessex edict of seventeen forty three, everyone has to stand on one leg and say I for twenty minutes or you know, whatever. No one understands what the fuck's going on. Um, you guys have it all very clearly written down, separation of powers, um, you know, the 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 legal ways to remove a president who's unfit. Um, you know, obviously uh, impeachment from Congress being one of them, but also the cabinet itself can decide to do that if they deem him, you know, mentally or, or, or otherwise unfit to do that. So you have all this stuff codified. What's been really weird is what I thought would happen was that you guys would take him down because you have the rules to do so, and we, we wouldn't be able to do that because we don't have the rules to do so. What's transpired is almost the opposite, is that 
You motherfuckers, with all of your rules saying that we can do this, have conspicuously failed to act on the powers that you clearly have, that you're allowed to do. You're allowed to, you could have got rid of this motherfucker fucking three years ago. You know, on the first fucking thing, gone, done. Legally, that's part of the Constitution. You could have done it, but you didn't. Um, whereas we don't have any of those powers, but it seems, as you were saying, and I agree with you, there is a groundswell of, of that very kind of British sense of fair play coming into it. Well, I'm not quite sure this is, this is cricket, is it? I mean, shutting down Parliament, I, I mean, I voted leave, but I, I'm shutting down Parliament, lying to the Queen. I, are you sure I'm pretty fair, is it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, I think there is a little bit of a kickback against it. And it's weird that that you guys, with your written constitution, have failed to act when you legally can, and we are starting to act when we legally can't. But in many ways, Johnson's making it easier for people because he keeps losing uh, votes, right? He lost his first... Uh, two votes in Parliament, which was a record. No one's ever done that. And then he beat it by losing three. Then he beat his own record again by losing four. And then he uh, beat it again by five. Then he got up to six. Then he shut Parliament down. Now, there is a, a method for shutting Parliament down called perogration. And what that means is that it's closed for a period of time in order for the government to write what's called a Queen's Speech, which is where the government sets out its policies, and then the Queen reads it out. It's a fucking bunch of bullshit carnival, but that's how we do it. Um, but as a lot of people pointed out, uh, this is not the fucking time to close down Parliament when we've got the biggest constitutional crisis in our lifetimes. And just out of curiosity, what is, for him, what's the conventional wisdom in shutting down Parliament in the first place? Okay, well, firstly, if he doesn't have Parliament, then he can do as he wishes because we don't have we don't have a codified separation of powers like you do it's an assumed uh, separation of powers okay so we do have we have the executive which is the government uh, when the prime minister and his cabinet is the government okay and then we have parliament which is the legislature of which the government is also part it's a bit complicated and then we have the judiciary which is separate from that but what we do have in our country, which is different from your country, is we have, I think, I'm not saying they're better judges, but I think that they're more independent because there's no judge's position, no legal position in our country is voted for. Like in America, you can be voted uh, to be a sheriff, for instance, or in a law enforcement officer, or you can get voted onto you know, various judicial review systems, judge positions, legal positions, whatever. That doesn't happen in the UK, right? So we have, we actually have, although we haven't written it down, we do have more of a separation between our judiciary and our executive and legislative than you guys do. Even though you're supposed, you've written down that you did, but you actually don't because you fucking vote for these people and it's all political. And for instance, you know, one of the things that's, oh, just to, to uh, go, slightly off topic for a moment here. One of the things that almost fucking freaked me out about America when I came to live there and, uh, and learned about it a little bit was that you guys were totally cool with the idea of there being uh, Republican Supreme Court justices and Democrat Supreme Court justices. I was like, 
to an outsider. It's like, what the fuck? You can't have that. You either fucking prosecute the law properly to the letter of the law, or you don't. You don't do it from a Republican law and a Democratic law. I mean, what the fuck is that about? Right? But in America, everyone just goes, oh, no, it's fine. It's totally fine. So you have, you have a Democratic um, president, and, and you know, they're in charge of government, so they nominate a whole bunch of Democratic judges, and then the Republicans get in power, and they nominate a bunch of... I mean, it, what the fuck? How is that supposed to be an independent judiciary? When I first came and, re and heard about that, I was like, is this a fucking joke? How, how, is, how has no one said at any point, hang on a minute, what the fuck are we even saying here? How can you, you know, your whole job as a judge is to put your political views to one side, and because otherwise you're a politician, right? You're a fucking politician. So, so, so you have to put that aside. You can't, you, anyway. That's something that I've just never understood about, about the states. Now, I know it was found to be illegal, but Johnson did shut Parliament down. So what exactly happened? What happened? It, it shut down. That is um, the Queen's prerogative to shut Parliament down on the advice of her Prime Minister. So the Prime Minister sent his lackeys up to uh, Queen's Gath in Scotland asking for her to shut Parliament down which she uh, duly did, because uh, the Queen essentially has to just do as the Prime Minister asks her to do, or tells her to do, if we're honest. Um, and as a result of that, there is no parliamentary oversight. Now, the weird thing is, in England, is that the Prime Minister actually has, in some ways, more power than the President of America, in terms of, of how much power they have over the, the running of the country, right? Trump many times has tried to instigate laws and either at state level or federal level, a judge or legislature said, no, we're not doing it. The immigration, there's some immigration shit, I can't remember the details, but some things that he's tried to do, quite a number of things actually, and people just said, no, we're not doing it. The wall, actually, for one thing, is the big one, isn't it? I mean, we're going to build the wall, no, you're fucking not. <laughs> he just hasn't been able to do it. So he just pretended that he's done it, right? Okay. Um, in England, the Prime Minister has more power than that. But Parliament is supposed to be sovereign. That's the one thing that everybody agrees on in our uncodified legal uh, political system. Is Parliament is sovereign. Parliament is the House of Commons and the House of Lords, right? Which is analogous to your House of Representatives and uh, Senate. Uh, and they are sovereign. The Queen's not sovereign. Parliament is sovereign. The Prime Minister isn't sovereign. Parliament is sovereign. And the Prime Minister is part of Parliament. Okay, it's all very, very complicated. Um, but by shutting Parliament down, what that means is the executive then can do pretty much as it likes with no parliamentary oversight. For instance, there was a committee that uh, Johnson was supposed to appear before this week, and because he'd shut Parliament down, he didn't have to go. Right. So basically it gives him a free role to do that. Um, the other thing it does is it stops anyone from uh, introducing any bills or changing any bills or changing any legislation. So if he wants to crash out of the EU on the 31st of October, as he said that he wants to, if there's no parliament in session, nobody can stop him. All right, look, so we're in October now. The 31st is looming. Uh, it's an ominous... Uh, date 
that's approaching, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Again, like I said, we both, both of us in our countries are through the looking glass now and we're doing shit that we don't know how it's going to play out. Nobody knows what's going to happen with with what's going on here. We've never been... The, the, whole, the whole point of the British uh, political system is it relies on goodwill. Right? It relies on, on the... Uh, they're all public school motherfuckers anyway, but they call it the good chap theory, right? Which is, you know, you're just a good chap. You follow the rules and, you know, if you're terribly embarrassed, you have to resign and blah, blah, um, Now, we have someone in the UK who's, who's analogous to Trump in that he can't be shamed into resigning. You know, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about probity. He doesn't care about honour and dignity. He doesn't care about embarrassment. Um, so we are kind of fucked because the, the British political system depends on goodwill because it's not written down. You see? Um, so, so this is where we come back to the same thing. It's like your one is written down, but, but for instance, one of the things that I find slightly heartening is I fucking hate the Conservatives. I, I'm a left winger. I always fucking hate the Conservatives. Um, but I have to say this. 21 of them got kicked out of the party because they said, no, we're not going along with with uh, Johnson and this far-right coup and the shut, shutting down of parliament. It's, it's not okay. We're not doing it. So they kicked out the party. Where the Republicans are doing that? Jeff Flake said something because he was leaving and someone else, and John McCain said something because he was dying, you know, and, and every other motherfucker has said nothing at all. And, and, and think back, if you will, to to uh, before Trump was elected, when he was just a candidate. Can you remember? Can you remember how many, how what a huge proportion of the Republicans were against Trump? Almost everybody said this guy's a fucking idiot, and he's going to be a fucking nightmare, right? And now where are they? Not a peep. Not a fucking peep. All right, just to finish with, would you say that Johnson and Trump are cut from the same cloth? And what do you think it is that they're both trying to do? Cut from the same cloth. And his advisors cut from the same cloth. These are people who are trying to fundamentally change our countries from liberal democracies into autocracies, whereby the very, very wealthy can have whatever the fuck they want all the time, and everybody else can either die or fuck off. Don't you feel smarter? I do. I got it. I understood it. Uh, we ended on a on a uh, kind of a dark moment, but I think uh, that's a good elliptical uh, kind of way to end it because it's sort of a to be continued kind of thing. Because the weirdness uh, is not going to stop anytime soon. Owen Vice explaining Brexit. I understood it. You understood it. And uh, this is one of those podcasts where you listened. And you got smarter. I mean, we're not uh, Radio Lab or anything, uh, but every now and then we do offer an educational experience. So there you go. Uh, this is normally the part in the program where I would direct you to Owen's website or his Bandcamp page 
or his uh, SoundCloud page or, oh, hell, even his MySpace page, whatever. But you know what? He doesn't have one. He doesn't have any of those things. But you can find Star Club on Spotify. So go do that. Play it loud. It's a great album. I'm actually helping Owen get his music on Bandcamp. So uh, stay tuned for that. In the meantime, did you know that Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms? Yes, it's true. Spotify, Google Play, Last.fm, Stitcher, uh, Apple Music, and now iHeartRadio. So go there, subscribe, leave a nice comment, throw us a couple of stars, and uh, tell all your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Embers Editor, or you can find me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. Do both. Uh, or email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Thank you, as always, for listening to the program week in and week out. It means the world to me. It really does. And one day we're going to meet in person, and I'm going to give you a really long handshake. And you're going to go, all right, maybe maybe you should let go. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why a long handshake means anything. Uh, a long, meaningful handshake or a hug. Although, after the handshake, you probably don't want the hug. The point is, thank you uh, for being a fan of the show. Let's close things off with a song from Owen Weiss. This is Lonely. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Feeling like a down.